Hey, good morning. How we doing? Good, good. Do me a favor. Turn in your Bibles to Numbers 11 if you have a Bible with you or uh, get that out on your phone or uh, tablet. We're going to be in Numbers 11, or 12, sorry, not Numbers 11, Numbers 12 uh, this morning. And uh, we are in a series that is called Tearing Down Strongholds. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know that we've kind of been going after the idols in our hearts or the strongholds in our heart that often trip us up in our walk with God. And, and here's what I would say about today. I just want to be honest. I just want to tell you how how it's going to be. Uh, we are going to look at something that is not so much a stronghold, uh, but something that is probably the root behind all of the strongholds in our life. And today we're going to be talking about tearing down the stronghold of rebellion. Tearing down the stronghold of rebellion. And here's why I say that rebellion or a rebellious heart is at the root of our strongholds is because sin itself, all sin, is an act of rebellion against God, right? When we choose to sin in our thoughts or in our actions or in our attitudes, we are rejecting God's rightful rule and reign over our lives. And I would make the argument that all of us probably come here even today and have sinned and have rejected what God would have for us in our hearts at some point already this morning, right? Rebellion was at the root of the first sin in the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve are placed in a garden, and God's like, you can have rule and reign over everything. You just can't eat from this one tree. And what did Adam and Eve decide? They decided, no, I, I don't want to obey God. I don't want to be told what I can or can't do. In fact, I would like to be like God. I would like to make these decisions for myself, and I'm going to do what I want to do rather than what God would have me do. And because of our sin nature, all of us here this morning, myself included, are wired with a rebellious heart. So um, to help us get this, I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them you have a rebellious heart. Can you do that? And then I want you to tell them that they are loved. Say you are loved, but you know, your heart is wildly rebellious. This is all of us here this morning. And, and here's what I would say. For some of us, we are very, very good at outwardly expressing the rebellion in our lives, right? Um, this is the guy that drives 110 down the highway, right? It is very clear to everyone that he speeds past what he feels about the speed limit, and no one's going to tell him how fast he's going to drive. He's going to do what he wants to do. Um, this is the high schooler who sneaks out of the house and goes and gets wasted with their friends and breaks the law and makes foolish decisions. I'm just going to do what I want to do, and I don't care what the law says. I don't care what my parents say. I'm just going to do it. I remember when I was in high school, uh, on the weekends, I had a job, and I would go to Shoreline Soccer Club, and I would ref soccer games. And because I was only you know, 16 or 17 years old, I wouldn't ref the older kids, so I was stuck refing kind of like the 8-year-olds and 9-year-olds and 10-year-olds, which is primarily kids running around kicking the soccer ball and falling all by themselves, right? It's very, very boring refing, but it's refing and it was a job, so I did it. And I remember um, refing those indoor soccer games, I would have to kick parents and coaches out of the games because they were screaming at me and they were yelling at me. And I've had grown adults threaten to fight me in a parking lot because I called a foul on their eight-year-old son. 
It's like, okay, if, that, if like you're this worked up over this, you've got bigger issues. But there is just this, I hate the ref and I don't want to listen to this issue with authority. Another funny story was when I was in college, a friend of mine had a birthday. And for his birthday, his dad decided to come to the city and take out um, his son and a bunch of his friends out for dinner to celebrate his birthday. And so we went to a, I believe it was a Polish pub that you could have dinner and then you could do polka dancing. That's what they really wanted to do. They thought it would be so fun. It was not fun, but that's what we did. And so we went to this polka bar in somewhere in the city and uh, the dad ordered a steak and he said, can I just get a steak and mashed potatoes? And the waitress came out and said, hey, uh, we can do your steak, but I'm you know, regretting to let you know that we're actually out of mashed potatoes. You're going to have to pick something else. And the dad was like, no, I want mashed potatoes. I want you to make me mashed potatoes. It's on the menu. That's what I've ordered. And they're like, okay, I'll go talk to the chef. And they went and talked to the chef. And then they came back and it was even more awkward. Yeah, the chef says, we can't do mashed potatoes. We're out of mashed potatoes. You can do baked potatoes. You can do fries. You can do a salad. Here's your other options. And the, the dad said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a baked potato and I want you to lather it in butter and put cream on it. And I want you to smash it together. And I want you to put it on my plate. I'm having mashed potatoes. Right? So the whole night was incredibly awkward after that point because the dad would not be told what he could or couldn't eat. Like for some of us, the rebellion in our lives, it's almost like a life motto, right? For many in our culture, in our country, and maybe even in this church, you live with the life motto, no one's going to tell me how to live my life. I'm going to do what I want, and that's how I'm going to live. It's some, in some ways, it's actually celebrated in our society. But then for others, and I would say for most of us, the rebellion in our hearts, it's a little bit more under the radar. It's quieter, but it might even be just as fierce. It's the attitudes we have about those in authority over us. Our teachers, our bosses, our uh, government officials... It's our attitudes towards them. It's how we talk about our boss or our leaders to other people. It's how we talk about the neighborhood association board to our other neighbors when they're not around. It's the grumbling and complaining and being openly frustrated. It's the level of effort you give to those who are in authority over you when they require it of you. Do you give your best? Do you work your hardest? Or are you going through the motions so you can get to what you want to do? All of this is root of rebellion in our hearts. It's the things we say privately behind people's backs. And in Numbers 12, we're going to see a passage where Moses, as the leader of Israel, he is betrayed and the people closest to him rebel against him. And we're going to learn a lot about how God views the rebellion in our hearts through this text. So here's the big idea before we jump into the passage. It's this. It's that a rebellious heart will only ever lead you away from the blessings of God. A rebellious heart will only ever lead you away from the blessings of God. And I don't know if you've been in our soul care or if you've gone to a marriage conference at our church. One of the pieces of advice we give couples is that when you're discussing something or when you're in an argument, never use 100% words. 
that that 100% word should be off limit because when I say, well, Mary, you always do this or you never do that, what I'm doing is, is now I'm not attacking the problem, I'm attacking Mary's character. And, and when we use 100% words, things get personal very, very quickly. Well, you notice in the big idea, I'm using 100% words on purpose, that a rebellious heart will only ever lead you away from the blessings of God because I want you to see how serious I am that if we don't work out this stronghold of rebellion, we are moving ourselves away from God's blessing in our life. It's leading us nowhere good. And we're going to see this play out in Numbers 12. Look at uh, verse 1. It says this, it says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. All right, here's the first thing I want you to see from this passage is that rebellion rises with the temperature. Okay, we need to understand that the rebellion in our heart rises with the temperature. And I'm not talking about the physical weather outside. I'm not saying as the weather warms up, we become more rebellious. What I'm saying is, is when circumstances get difficult, when life gets hard, the rebellion in our heart tends to bubble up to the surface. And, and to understand this, you need to understand what was going on with Israel in this story. Remember, God had called Moses to set the people free from Egypt and bring them to the promised land. And Moses did the, uh, the miracles and the ten plagues God put on Israel. Pharaoh relents. Moses takes the people. And the people are promised that they're going to have their own land, that it's going to be flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be this paradise. And God is leading them to this place. The problem is, is in Numbers 12, they've been following Moses. They've been following God. They've been putting their hope on this promise that they were going to this promised land, but they find themselves wandering in the wilderness. And it's hot, and it's dirty, and it's uncomfortable, and life isn't easy for the people of Israel. And so Miriam and Aaron, Aaron was Moses' brother, and so it's Moses' brother and sister-in-law, all of a sudden they start to move against Moses. They're frustrated about being in the wilderness. They're frustrated that God is not moving as fast as they want him to. And they're like, all right, maybe Moses is the problem. Moses married a woman that, that we don't like. We'll get into that in a second. But there's some family drama. And all of a sudden, like, are we sure that Moses is the right leader? Life is hard for Israel and rebellion is coming to the surface. And church, here's why I make this point. Wouldn't we say that we have seen this in our country over the past 18 months? That we have gone through something as a country that has been uniquely difficult with this COVID pandemic? And I would argue that as a result, we have seen rebellious hearts rise to the surface on every level of our society. We have seen it play out in Washington. We have seen it play out in riots in major cities. We have seen it um, play out kind of in every level of life. Man, when I talk to other pastors, when I talk to principals who lead schools, when I talk to anyone in a position of leadership, what they all say to me is, I've never had a more difficult year trying to navigate leading my company or my business or my church. It's been difficult. My uh, brother-in-law, Austin, had a conversation with a, a coffee shop owner in Grand Haven. 
And um, Austin asked him, he goes, how, how has it been, you know, through the past year with the mask regulations and all of that stuff? And the uh, guy said, you know what? Almost every single day, we've had to kick people out of our store on a daily basis because people would refuse to, to submit to the rules and regulations of our government and of our store. It has been a constant struggle. It's been a very, very difficult year, and we're seeing rebellion play out all over our society. Everyone is tired. Everyone is frustrated, and we see this in the text. Aaron and Miriam's hearts are beginning to pour out. Look at verse 1 again. It says, And Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Okay, here's the second thing we need to see in this passage, and this is so important, is that rebellion is always rooted in pride. Rebellion is always rooted in pride. At the heart of rebellion is this desire to elevate ourselves above others or even God himself. And you see this play out so clearly in Aaron and Miriam. They start to question Moses and they start to say, maybe we should be the ones who are leading. And you see this play out in two ways. So the first way rebellion is stemmed from pride is we start to believe that A, our leaders are unqualified. Our leaders are unqualified, and that was the charge against Moses. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And the issue that Miriam and Aaron had with Moses was who he married. Their issue wasn't with Moses himself, but it was the woman whom Moses had married. And their issue was that this woman was Cushite. And what that means is she was from a region in the world at that time that would be now modern day Sudan or Ethiopia. And you need to hear this. Miriam and Aaron's issue with Moses was that Moses married a black woman. She would have had very dark skin. She would have had distinctly African features. She was from uh, the area of Ethiopia and Sudan. And what you're reading here in verse 1 is racism. They don't like Moses' wife because of the color of her skin, and they don't believe Moses should be allowed to lead because he chose to marry this woman. And a couple things I need to, to say about this. First of all, you need to understand that racism is the laziest and intellectually lowest form of pride. To believe that you are better than someone or to believe that you should be above someone because of the color of your skin or because of where you were born um, is the intellectually lowest form of pride. These are things that we have absolutely no control over. It's lazy, it's wicked, it doesn't make sense, and it is an affront to the character and creativity of God. And by the way, this is something that is still prevalent today, and it's something that we shouldn't be callous to. It should be something that grieves our hearts. The second thing you need to hear is that racism has been a problem in the church ever since the beginning of the church when the church was founded in Acts. And if you've studied the New Testament, you know that one of the major problems in the early church that Paul dealt with in Acts and Paul dealt with in his letters to the New Testament church was the issue of Judaism. 
right? Have you guys heard that word? You're familiar with that? And there was this false teaching that if you were truly to be a Christian, that, that there was these group of Jewish people that told the Gentile believers that you need to follow our customs and, and you need to adopt much of the Jewish faith. And if you don't do that, then you can't be a follower of Christ. Well, what's at the heart of Judaism? It's racism. You need to look like us. You need to act like us. You need to follow our customs. You need to eat like us. You need to think like us. You you have to change who you are to be more like us if we're going to be comfortable with you. And it was so bad in the early church that Paul had to call out publicly Peter because even Peter was falling in to this false teaching and treating the Gentiles differently when the Jewish Christians were around. Racism has always been a, an issue in the church. It still is today. And this should be something that we should grieve our hearts and to not acknowledge that this is a reality is to willingly live with your eyes closed. So racism was the issue, but Moses was the target. And Aaron and Miriam were critical of the decisions that Moses had made. And in their mind, he was disqualified from leadership. Okay, and here's what's amazing about the rebellious heart. Think about all of the ways God had affirmed Moses as a leader, right? Aaron and Miriam, they saw God do the 10 plagues through Moses. They saw God lead the people out of Egypt under Moses' leadership. They saw the Red Sea parted by Moses. They had seen the pillar of cloud leading the people of Israel during the day and the pillar of fire at night. They had seen Moses go up to Mount Sinai and come down with the law in God's presence and glowing like the sun. It was so obviously clear that Moses had been called by God and placed in this position of leadership, but they wouldn't acknowledge any of that. They were focusing on the thing they perceived was a weakness. Well, I just don't like this thing, and therefore he shouldn't be allowed to lead. They were neglecting all of the clear evidence and only focusing on what they perceived to be a weakness. Here's the second way that rebellion plays out in pride. It's just the mentality that I know or would lead better. I know better or that I would lead better. And you see this in verse 2. It's right in the text. Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Do you see themselves convincing themselves in their mind? No, I could do a better job. Like, are we actually sure that Moses is the leader? Has God not also worked through us? Why don't we get the credit? We're also working hard. We would be better suited as leaders. And again, if you know the story of Israel, you should be laughing at this because actually Aaron had already had a chance to lead the people of Israel. Remember this? When Moses went up to Mount Sinai, he put Aaron in charge. He said, I'm going to go meet with the Lord. You are responsible for the nation of Israel. How did that go for Aaron? Do you remember? Moses was gone for like 48 hours, and when Moses came back, the people were worshiping pagan gods that Aaron had made. They'd freaked out. They rebelled against the Lord. They were worshiping false idols. It was chaos. So Aaron, in his chance to lead, had not exactly knocked it out of the park. In fact, Aaron was only in his role because God had chosen to be gracious and Moses had chosen to forgive, and yet he is convincing himself that he would, in fact, be better. And before we're too hard on Aaron, I want you to understand something. 
this same mentality is something that we all have. Like I would say over the course of my 10 plus ministries here at this church, whether it be through small group or through counseling or just through talking with men at this church, uh, we often talk about how's work going. And I'll find out what someone does for a living. We'll talk about their job, what they do, what that looks like. And I would say for every one time, a, a, a man has come to me and said, man, my boss is just awesome. And he's doing a great job and he's knocking it out of the park. And I'm so thankful that he's in charge and not me because he would do way better than I could. For every one time I've heard that, I've a hundred times heard my boss is kind of a moron. And if I was running things, I would do things differently. And he doesn't understand or he's out of touch or if I, right, we have this mentality, if I was running the world, the world would be a utopia, right? It's a rebellious mentality that we all have. Kids have it towards their parents. Students have it towards their teachers, right? The reason I'm getting a D minus, it's obviously not my fault. It's my teacher's fault. They're unfair. We think we know and would lead better. So can I ask you a question? Like, let's make this really practical. How do you think and talk about the leaders that are placed over you? Like, what are the words you use to describe them to others? Are you gracious towards them? Do you acknowledge their strengths or do you only focus on their weaknesses? Are you hypercritical? Right, this is how rebellious hearts tend to work. All right, look at verse 3. It says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all of the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward, and he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him through a vision. I speak with him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Then why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And what I want to do now is I want to take a moment and I want to give a word of encouragement to leaders. Um, In verse 3, it says that Moses was very meek more so than all of the people who are on the face of the earth. And there's been some debate over Hebrew scholars of what does this word meek mean? What, what, is the, what is God communicating to us when he says that Moses was more meek than anyone on the face of the earth? And um, the way that this phrase is translated, it's this idea of Moses was bowed down in his mind. He was at a very, very low place. And so the debate has been, some people are like, well, maybe that means he was just shy, he lacked self-confidence, he, he, he was just not a, a very assertive person, that's what it meant to be meek. So he didn't even realize what Miriam and Aaron were doing because he was just so shy and bashful. Um, but I think the better explanation for bowed down in his mind is the idea that Moses was devastated at what was going on, that he was broken, his inner circle The people he loved most were now turning on him, and he had nothing left and no idea what to do. And here's why I believe this, because family drama is very, very apparent, isn't it? And if Miriam and Aaron hated Moses' wife so much that they no longer believed that Moses should be leading Israel, you don't think that that wouldn't have played out in very, very practical ways? 
And what I believe is happening here is Moses is just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to lead. The people are rebellious. And now my own family is turning against me. And here's what I would say. If you're here and you're in a position of leadership, and that can be on any level, that can be at work, that can be at home, that can be in your neighborhood, that can be teaching, that can be sports, coaching sports teams on, on any level, If you're in a position of leadership, you need to hear this. It's lonely. Leadership is lonely. People will criticize you. You will not get the benefit of the doubt. Oftentimes, the people who you love the most and have done the most for will hurt you. Your character will come under attack. People will talk about you behind your back. And uh, you probably understand on some level what it's like to feel what Moses is feeling in this moment. And here would be my word of encouragement to you. Um, Let the Lord defend you. Let the Lord defend you. And what I love about this passage is look at how the Lord talks about Moses. He's like, listen, if Moses were a prophet, I would speak to him in a dream or in a vision. But I love Moses so much that I talk to him face to face like a son, and he has seen my presence. And what God does is to Miriam and to Aaron, he says, listen, I'm affirming Moses' character. I'm affirming Moses' position of leadership, and I'm making it very, very clear that I am the one that has established him in this position, and you have no right to speak against Moses. Moses doesn't have to speak a word. The Lord defends him and speaks for him. In moments when you are under attack and you don't know how to move forward and you feel like you're backed into a corner, we need to learn how to own what we can own, how to learn and grow and acknowledge the sin in our own life, But we also have to acknowledge that the reason we're in this spot oftentimes has nothing to do with us, but it is because of the rebellious hearts of the people that are under us or under our authority because we all have this rebellion in our hearts. Moses had done nothing wrong in this passage, and yet he was still under attack, had nowhere to go, and was emotionally devastated, but the Lord defended him. Don't waste your energy trying to defend yourself or micromanage everyone's perspective of you. Proverbs 16, 9 says, The heart of the man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We need to trust that the Lord will establish our steps, that he is in control, and and, um, we need to move forward trusting him. All right, look at verse 9. It said, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed And really quick, what we can learn from verse 9 is that rebellion is ultimately an attack on God's character. Rebellion is ultimately an attack on God's character. Like it's not Moses that we see that was angry. We see him hurt and devastated, but God is angry. Why does God take this so personally? Why is God angry? Because a rebellious spirit towards those in authority is a sin against the one who's established them as the authority. Ultimately, God viewed Aaron and Miriam's complaining against Moses as complaining against God himself. And here's what I would say. If we recognize that we have had bad attitudes or rebellion in our hearts towards leadership, can can I affirm something for you right now? The solution is not a new leader or a better leader or a new circumstance. 
The solution is, is we have to get our eyes vertical. We have to see that God is in control. We have to trust that he is good and that he is faithful and that he knows what he is doing. And we have to choose to fear God. Whether it be parents, politicians, teachers, bosses, pastors, elders, referees, etc. God has established these authorities in our lives. And we need to view it that way. And by the way, this is something that God has had to do a huge work in, in my heart. Like I look over at Brett Lyle right now. And Brett remembers who I was in high school. I was the kid that almost every soccer game would get a yellow card, not because I fouled someone, but because I was mouthing off to the refs. So guess what God did? He, over a period in my life, put authorities in my place over me who I really struggled with because God was beating these rough edges out of me and teaching me that if you're going to lead, you first have to be willing to submit and trust God with the authorities over your life. We don't get to live in a spot where we say we trust God, but we have a rebellious spirit and attitude towards those he's placed over us. It doesn't work that way. All right, look at verse 10. It says, when the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned towards Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when she comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O God, please heal her. All right, so God moves away from Moses and Miriam and Aaron, and all of the sudden, Miriam is struck with leprosy. And the thing that we need to see here is that rebellion always ends in pain. Rebellion always ends in pain. Miriam's rebellion results in a, fierce, in a severe physical consequence. And I want you to catch this too. What was Miriam's issue with Moses? It was the wife that Moses married, her skin tone was too dark. So what does God do? He strikes Miriam with a leprosy that makes her skin white as snow. And I do think there's a little bit of a sense of humor in God there that's saying, what, your issue is with the color of her skin? I'm going to make you so white that it's actually deadly. God's communicating something about how he feels about Miriam's attitude towards Moses' wife in the punishment God gives her. And what I want to do is I want to take a minute and talk through what I mean when I say that rebellion always ends in pain. I want to be very, very clear here. Um, the first thing we need to understand is that rebellion almost always ends in physical or practical pain for our lives. In Ecclesiastes 8 to Solomon, uh, who God blessed with much wisdom, said this. He says, I say, keep this king's command because of God's oath to him, and be not hasty to go from his presence, and do not take a stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and you may say to him, what, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. Do you see what Solomon's saying? He's saying if you want to have a good life, if you want to have a life that is free of oppression, don't rebel against the king because the king will do whatever he wants and no one is in the position to say, who, who are you to do this? And he's saying when we rebel against the authorities in our life, we're setting ourselves up for a difficult life. People with rebellious hearts tend to live difficult lives. Um, I remember... It's probably about six years ago now. I was serving as the youth pastor here, and I had a, a, a parent come to me. 
And, and I've been in this situation before where they're like, hey, my kid's a senior in high school and he's out of control and he's rebellious. He won't listen. We've had to kick him out of the house. He's been physically threatening towards his parents. He is flunking out of school. He's doing drugs. Like everything that would define a rebellious high schooler, this kid was doing. And they're like, Cal, will you meet with him? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always happy to meet. So the kid comes in and comes into my office, and it's very clear he's here because mom and dad are threatening him some way that I don't know how, but it's like, you better do this. You've got to meet with the pastor. He doesn't want to be here. I don't know the kid that well. He hasn't been plugged into youth group. And um, start talking with him. And I just asked him this question. I said, what do you want out of life? Like, you're 18 years old. Give me your grand plan. And the kid's like, I just want to, I just want to have a job. And I just want to be on my own and I want to provide for myself. I don't want my parents over me. I just want to be free to do myself and I want to work and I want to provide for myself. And I'm like, how's school going for you? And he's like, oh, I hate school. I'm plunking out and I hate my teachers. I hate being at school. And I'm like, you understand someday that you're going to have a boss, right? And he was like, yeah. And I'm like, so if you're not willing to respect and listen and do what your teachers ask you to do, why do you think you're going to be able to keep a job? Because your boss might actually be worse than your teachers, and they're going to ask you to do stuff, and you're going to be accountable to them. Yeah, well, I haven't really thought about that, but it'll just be better when I'm at work. And then I'm like, do you want to get married someday? Do you want to have a family? And he's like, yeah, I want to have a wife and kids someday. And I asked, how's your relationship with your family right now? Oh, I can't stand my parents, and, and, I, and I just want to get away from them. It's really, really broken. And I'm like, well, if that's your attitude to the family God has given you right now, why do you think when you have a family of your own that that's magically going to change or get better? And I tried to explain to the kid, the issue is, is you have a heart that no one can tell you what to do. You don't want to be accountable to anyone. And it's setting you up for a life of pain. You're walking down a path that is leading nowhere good. Right? I've talked with so many people in this church who would say, I have lived a life of rebellion, and it's led me to jail, it's led me to addiction, it's led me to all of the places I was warned against, but I couldn't learn it unless I went through it myself, and I regret it. Rebellion leads to practical and physical pain, but here's the other one. Rebellion always ends in spiritual pain. Rebellion always ends in spiritual pain, right? Remember the big idea, a rebellious heart will only ever lead you away from the blessings of God? And here's something we have to remember about God. How does God choose to relate to us? Do you know? It's as a father. He calls, us our heaven, his, he calls himself our heavenly father more than any other way he relates to us. And what he's trying to communicate is just like a father to a son, the way that that relationship works means that God's love for us is unconditional. Right? Does God's love ever change towards us? No. Is there anything that can separate us from God's love? Absolutely not. Is God's love unfailing and unchanging? Absolutely. But you need to hear this. Just like any good father, God is not going to affirm our rebellion. When we live with rebellion against God, it changes the nature of the relationship. Right? Think about the story of the prodigal son. Did the father ever stop loving the son? No. 
He always loved the son. And as soon as the son came home, he ran out to greet him and restored him and loved him and was so thankful. And he never stopped loving his son. But when the son rebelled against the father and went out on his own, was he under the father's protection? No. Did he get to experience the blessings of living as the father's son? Did he have that protection and that love? Did he experience it? No, he chose to walk away from it. God will not affirm our rebellion against him, and it will impact the nature of our relationship with God when we live in rebellion to him. Hebrews 12 says this. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And, you, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, or, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there from whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Okay, we have to remember God is a father. He's not a cheerleader. All right, let's be honest. Any cheerleaders in the room, anyone here who cheerleaded in high school or college or anything like that, raise them up high. Come on, you can be peppy. You can be proud. Um, Here's what I would say. I actually really, my heart goes out to cheerleaders, and here's why. Because no matter how bad your team is, you still have to pretend to be excited about them. Right? Like, have you ever gone to a sporting event where the team's losing like 55 to nothing, and the cheerleaders are doing cheers and cheering, and it's like, all right, this has long since been like inappropriate. Like, our team's terrible. Everyone knows it. Like, like, like let, let's just all go home. But cheerleaders, they have to be peppy and excited and proud no matter what. Okay, but God's not our cheerleader. He's our father. And that means he has to instruct us and he has to discipline us. And we're called to follow him. And blessing does follow obedience. And that's why we need to root out the rebellion in our heart so that we can experience the blessings that God would have for us. Let's finish up. Look at verse 11. It says, and Aaron said to Moses, oh, my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be one who, uh, who is as dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, oh, God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? And let her be shut outside camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside of the camp for seven days, and the people did not set out in march till Miriam was brought in again. And after that, the people sent out from Hazareth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Okay, so what happens is, is that Moses and Aaron, they plead with the Lord to save Miriam. And what God says is, well, she's got to go away for seven days, which would have been customary for someone with that illness, so it wouldn't spread around the camp. But God chooses to relent of his punishment against Miriam, and she is healed and brought back in to camp. And, and here's the last thing I, I want you to see, is that God restores the rebellious heart through repentance. God restores the rebellious heart through repentance. And I want to close by focusing on verse 11. Look at it one more time. It says this. It says, And Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Okay, Numbers 12 is not a good look for Aaron. Agreed? It's not a highlight moment of his life. But here's what I want you to see. 
Aaron got something very, very right in verse 11. He was repentant over his sin. Do you see it there? He, he, he calls his rebellion for what it was. He says, we have been foolish. We have sinned. We have done wrong. God, please don't punish us. Lord, forgive us. He confessed it before the Lord. And what we see is, is that God was willing to forgive and restore. And church, look here. Isn't this all of our stories? Isn't the story of the gospel God going to great lengths to restore and save and heal rebellious people? This is all of us. The hope of the gospel is that we in our sin, when we are dead in our trespasses, has been made alive in Christ because God forgives those who are far away. But church, listen, it's only when we come to him with a heart of repentance. God saw the repentance of Aaron and was quick to forgive and restore. And church, here's my fear about this passage. My fear is, is that you would leave today and being like, wow, that was a tough passage and rebellion's an issue that we all have. And I was convicted and man, Cal had some really interesting things to say about our rebellious hearts. But that we would never go from hearing about rebellion to doing the work and saying, all right, where does this exist in my heart? And I've got to hate this about me and I need to confess it and repent of it and bring it before the Lord so that I might be healed from it. Like this is something we've all admitted resides in all of us. So there has to be this constant, where is my heart bucking against God or the authorities that God has placed over me? We can't leave here this morning and be unaffected because if we do, we're again, we're choosing to walk away from the blessings of God. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. And I'm just going to give us a minute, even in this moment, to give you the opportunity to meet with the Lord. Man, I know as I have wrestled with the Lord and had been studying this passage this week, there have been so many things in my heart where God's like, here's an issue. Here's an attitude that you have had that has not honored me towards someone that I've placed over you. Here's an area where you think you know better, but you actually do not. And I'm just asking right now that the Holy Spirit would be present in our hearts and bring things into our mind where, where, where we need to repent of a rebellious spirit. Repentance is not admitting defeat or failure. It is going to the right person and asking for help and believing that we are loved, saved, and restored. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, this morning. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the people um, that are here, that love your word, that are humble enough to receive it. And God, I just pray for humility for all of us right now. God, I pray that we would not leave here okay with the rebellion that lives in our hearts and, and the attitudes that have led to us growing bitter or frustrated or discontent. Would we confess those things? Would we seek to change? Would we change how we talk about those in authority over us? Would we pray for our leaders? Would we have a heart that is for those who God has established over us? Would, be, would we be quick to confess our sin, to know that we're forgiven, 
God, we don't deserve your forgiveness. We don't deserve your kindness. But you have been so quick to love and restore us when we come to you with a humble heart. Would you be faithful to do that again? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.